Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other, and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f-ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years. I don't have the words to describe how I feel. And it seemed like this day would never come. But at last, and thank God, it eventually has. So there you go, Conan. Um, I don't have the words to describe how I feel, says Henry. Very touching. Ah, uh, Willie, I feel like I was, I was born to do this podcast with you. <laughs> Where were you when those words were being said? I was watching in the house, jealous of my big brother, who was the one that got to go, <laughs> go and watch it, but... Um, Oh, like I must say, like I watched it back again, obviously last night, and oh, like I was so proud. It's just, it's just so rare, like you know, to have everybody in the country talking about Derry, like you know, when they're talking about them, like everybody wanting them to win, and just haven't been that level since, like, and uh, it did it almost brought a tear to me last night watching it. Well, that was the thing. So Henry Downey said then after that, he said there are stages over the past three years we were very disappointed, and it seemed like this day would never come. It was almost like a desperation for Derry to win it because they've been beaten by Down after a replay in '91. They won the All Ireland. Then favourites against Donegal in '92. They went and won the All Ireland. Like I mean, Derry must have been thinking, "What the hell is going on here?" Yeah, and like he did it a great line. Like he said, Cork might not appreciate it, but we needed this way more than Cork needed it, and. I think that that was just bang on. Like, and actually, you know, I think about what was happening like during the nineties and like around the eighties as well. They won a lot of minors under twenty one titles, and yeah. there was pandemonium building in the county. Like, and that like, that's that was fever pitch. I think that's obviously the peak of Derry football, and 
that really got everybody galvanized and it captured their imaginations. But so much so, it's it's been so bad since that we still just talk about that team and think about that team. But at that time, that was something else. So that was the thing. So like, I mean, Eamon Coleman led the, the or was manager in 1983. Derry won the minor All Ireland, and then he brought them to an Ulster. Um, under 21 in 85 and then they won the All-Ireland Minor again in 89 so uh, Gary Coleman um, Heaney and Tohill came off that 89 minor team um, and they would have got a good few back off the off the 85 83 team so you, you know this this team was probably built off those minor wins yeah I think they, they won three in, in four years at the start of the decade as well 80, 81 and 83 I think that was like I remember Dermot McNichol played in all three of them he was playing minors for four years but um, Eamon Coleman like this, this like Eamon Coleman is probably the big difference I know he had a special team there but Gary Coleman told a great story at, at Eamon's wake uh, he said some fella came over and introduced himself to him and said you don't know me Gary but I met your father on a plane back from London and, and Eamon told him I'm on my way back to take the Derry senior football team and he said we're going to win the all Ireland within three years. Do you know when like they did we doing the All Ireland in the third year or whatever? But nobody ever thought like that in my time. They, they didn't come into Derry and think we're gonna win an All Ireland. He was the one that came in and, and set that bar and I think everybody just followed it. Right, fantastic. And I suppose a big thing as well, Anthony Tohill left in after winning the minor All Ireland to go to Australia and he spent eighteen months out there. So I think it was 1991 he came back, which was a, a huge relief for for uh, for Derry people. Yeah, and like I suppose like like a lot of people who go out to Australia, like Toho went out as a big six foot four. He wasn't a beanpole, but he came back an animal. Like you know, and his strides were bigger and they were stronger, and he was just more powerful. Like you saw. Uh, like, like you know in that game people just bouncing off him like and like I think him going to Australia for two years he broke his leg now and he might he might have done a bit better out there he came back but that that probably did in the world of good just coming back as a professional athlete yeah exactly right so let's cut to this biggest talking point of this game and that's Tony Davis getting sent off an absolutely desperate desperate decision where and one thing that struck me about Tony Davis when uh, Dermot Heaney was walking over to him before the game he gave him a lovely little tap on the back a very sporting player Tony Davis shook his and now um, Heedy was starting to cause him problems and you know after a good early point Davis scored Heaney was getting on top of him and he was starting to give him a bit of a roasting and you could see Tony Davis getting a little bit frustrated right but there is no way that this was in any way shape or form uh, uh, sending off interestingly Conan there was no yellow cards back then which I didn't know about. So you either got it, you either got like a, a ticking to a talking to or a tick in the book or whatever, or you got sent off. If there had been yellow cards, Tony Davis is on record as saying it was a yellow card offence. Oh, that is not, I, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. And like, yeah, like it's heartbreaking. Like, you know, even as Derry man watching it like that, that, I can't remember a worse decision in an all Ireland final, like, you know, for somebody to be sent off and miss the rest of the game in the first half as well. And, it was really annoying. Obviously, like I think Tommy Howard was a referee. Like he was just reacting to there were two big incidents minutes before that. I don't know yeah. what we'll talk about it, but like Brian McGilligan said it all off. His his challenge is way worse than than Tony Davis. He hit, hit um I think Cahillan. he hit Cahillan actually yeah. Yeah, shoulder to the head. And Cahillan just hopped straight back up after that. <laughs> he did. He did. He did. And then obviously him and Gormley. And then I think. David, like Davis went, he went to nail like you know Heaney, and he, yeah. he foiled him. That was it. But I think the referee just decided no more. Like you're not, this game's getting out of control. But he let it get out of control, and then 
he just made the rashest decision of it. Like it was, it was terrible. Like, and I felt so sorry for him even watching it back. Yeah, and like I mean, incredibly that. Um Tony Davis, his brother Don was on the on the field, and his clubmate, uh, his clubmate was captain that day as well, uh, McCarthy in the corner. So, like, I mean, a complete heartbreaker that you know to affect your your own clubmate lifting the cup and to share a potential honour to win with your brother is just desperate. So, like, I was in disbelief watching it, knowing he got sent off, and still watching this in disbelief that that Tommy Howard had sent him off for what was no more than let's kind of dumped Downey out over the out over the sideline here. Now, a little bit aggressive, but, like, I mean, hit, hit him in the hip. Yeah, like, it was aggressive, but, like, it was, it was not in the final. Again, like, you know, Derry were starting to exert their physical dominance, so I think, you know, Cork was trying to retaliate. Like, you have to remember as well, this was on the sideline where there were people sitting, you know, so, like, you know, it's it's not just a normal shoulder. It, it, it's, it means more when you're over there, and it's big Dermot Heaney, like, so you need a lot of force to to push him over the line and actually what happened I think if Heaney had got up it would have hit him in the shoulder but Heaney sort of stayed low and drove out as he was sort of bending over and then yeah. so like David just caught him from behind that was it exactly and like you're saying the Catalan punch on Gormley which was from a Derry point of view the best punch he could ever have gotten because <laughs> it woke him up and got him to start playing but uh, Catalan that, that was a desperate punch really but like I mean this is like holding Gormley's hand and Gormley punched his hand which every forward would get off me and the reaction was just to give him a, a punch straight into the jaw and Gormley not expecting it a filthy challenge so like when you look at it like I know Tony Davis was hard done by and if Cork people say oh if we'd stayed 15 we would have had a better chance but like yeah that was an injustice but there was also an injustice with Cahillan staying on the field so no matter what way you look at it they should have been down to 14 men coming up to half time yeah that's it but that, that also sort of smacked of how bad a game that Tommy Howard was having like you know the fact that he went over and he did he take Cahillan or whatever you know, we had words of him it's like what do you I know you saw the pointer you didn't <laughs> like, you know, what do yeah. you write down in your in your little book but as you say like it was definitely the best the best reaction I've ever seen to somebody being hit in the face and it's a great advertisement for getting a belt in the head you know for to get your game going you get all that kind of you get all that kind of and really really woke up Gormley like who who scored up to a point not long after and came back touching or pointing his finger at Cahillan like I mean and now now his tail was up you know sometimes I needed something like that to get me going yeah. you, should, you shouldn't need it in an alternative final but sometimes it even might wake you up out of your nerves or you know whatever yeah. might kind of on top of you at the time I think I honestly think I'm terrible for that like you know if I get a belt in the head I'm, I'm way better I'm tuned in like you know and you, it, that first or five minutes afterwards from Gormley some, he scored two points he won a yeah. breaking ball he like you know he, like the second point he got was that fist over the bar with people clamouring in the top he was just up for it from yeah. there on which he probably then, didn't need the whole thing it becomes personal then so right yeah. I'd say Gormley just pushed the All-Ireland to one side and went I'm going to get this <laughs> this lad yeah. is getting it off me and maybe in a, in a, like the evidence is there that it helped his game yeah, like he went after ball harder and like for longer than he was doing. Like, you know, he want, yeah. as you said, he wanted to get revenge in his way. And do you know what the funny thing is? Like those two actually played together out in New York a few years before that. And uh, Gormley told the cracker story of the two of them drinking one night in a pub after a game. And Cahillan said to him, the problem with, with Northern teams is they're... Oh, they're too obsessed with being physical and they go after the man and not the ball <laughs> and Gormley was like I was the one lying comatose three years later in Coop Park a classic Coffee could have got a red for a late foul on McGurk um, uh, late in the game hit him very high now I know I'm, I know he's uh, I know he's a small enough player it's Barry Coffey um, you know, but Johnny McGurk was kind of all over the place. He, he, it was very high and it was rash. But anyways, that's kind of 
the the, the sendings off um, covered a little bit. You mentioned the crush on the end. I don't think the Tony Davis sending off was on that side. That was Hogan's stand side. The crush people were all sitting all lined up along the Cusick stand side, I thought. And it was gas because in the second half, there was a big hit on Kieran McKeever, who was running up the sideline and stuck him out. Oh, open. yes. And he landed he landed on supporters who, we have to be said, were brilliantly behaved on the sideline. Cause this was, and then Anthony Tohill took the free because um, it was a late, it was a late hit, and Anthony Toll is just kind of sh- shooing them away, you know, like a golfer would when he has to go into the crowd to make space for himself to, yeah. to take the free. It was funny because uh, someone was sort of looking up at him as if to say, "What's your problem?" But like, you Toll takes these big steps <laughs> to the left, <laughs> yeah, and he was sort of looked a bit annoyed at them, like. But um, that was it was bizarre. It actually, it, lo- it looks scary, especially like, knowing what we know now and stuff as well. But like, it looks scary for a period, and I was wondering why all these people were so well behaved along the sideline. I was thinking that these boys are like forcing away into a game, like they mustn't be that well behaved. But then. I think the people who forced their way in took their seats. <laughs> there were the people at the front who had to sit on the pitch then. Well, you'd, you'd have to say, like, I mean, when you, like, this was 1993, like, the stewards were, the stewards did a great job there. The game wasn't disrupted. Uh, there was people in serious, you know, condition who, you know, after being crushed, especially a couple of women that were very obvious, you know, struggling to breathe. They got them, they opened the gate, they got them in, they didn't interrupt the game, and, like, fair play all around to the stewards. Yeah, no, like, if you ever, if you ever acted like that, it was so quick thinking because your natural reaction, especially, like, you know, we know a lot of stewards. I'm sure you've got plenty around Port Leach as well. They're the same as the ones in my club. But, you know, their their natural thing would be to push everybody back and say, no, no, rules are rules. And they would, they would force yeah. it back and that, that would lead to the crush. But whoever just let it go and let, let the flow happen instead of a bottleneck, like, it was, it, it, they really do deserve some sort of, some sort of medal. They could probably save lives is the reality, yeah. I think. There's stewards I've set. There's stewards I've seen in action that could see someone dying being crushed up against the gate. I go, sorry, now I understand that this is very difficult for you. You're dying, but I cannot. I cannot break the rules here. I cannot think for myself and actually let you in. Did you not see his high-vis jacket? <laughs> Did you not see my badge? I am a steward. <laughs> and I'm a volunteer. But it was, it was chaos. There's people sitting up in the barbed wire and all as well. Like, and you look through the attendances, you know, of the order of the finals throughout the years, and like, was it 64,000 was the attendance of Crew Park or the capacity of Crew Park at that stage? And for this one, it was like 65,500. <laughs> you know, right. more people in, obviously. That are actually piling in. Right, come here, we'll leave it there, Conan, because Fergal McCusker joined us on the line. Now, Fergal, we were talking there about Tony Davis ascending off and what a dreadful decision it was. Yeah, it was a very poor decision all round. Um, uh, but I suppose you put it under the context of the game and what had happened and what had gone on before it. It was, um, I think he paid the penalty for what happened with Catalan and, and Andy Gormley. And yeah. um, uh, he maybe thought he had missed out on that one. And maybe it was in his head he'd made a mistake. Only only Tommy Howard knows that. And um, I think, unfortunately for um, Tony, um, now it wasn't a great tackle, but by no stretch of the imagination was it a sounding off. No, sure. Like back in '93, those challenges were going in all over the place. It was just, it was just a shoulder that kind of got. I'm not sure. Geez, I can't remember what Derry player it was. Got him in the hip, anyways, because he was bending down. It was nothing in it at all. Uh, it was, it was a line ball underneath. It was on yeah. the line underneath the Hogan stand. On the line, and, and yeah. Dermot- Dermot Heaney, I think it was, was Ben to pick it up, and um, it was clumsy by Tony. And he was there was a wee bit of malice in it, but yeah, you're right. Going on, like I'd, I'd watched recently there the Ulster final. I hadn't seen it in 20 years, and um, Jesus, the, the uh, uh, you really 
you know, you're getting your head tied off in that game before it was a free given. So, and and that's the way it was in those days. I don't want to look back roast on the glasses either, but um, it was a bit tougher and um, definitely in uh, it, it was it was out of context and it, it probably wasn't. It definitely wasn't a send off. Yeah, and it, exactly. And the thing about it was was like if. If Cork are saying that was an injustice, they got away with the injustice. You mentioned Catalan's punch on Indigarmi, like, you know, a, a sneaky punch that probably wasn't that uncommon off the ball back in the early 90s. But, like, I mean, in a funny way, it woke Indigarmi up and he started kicking bloody brilliant stuff after that. Yeah, and was a very good friend of mine, club man of mine. I've known him since he was uh, he was 12 years old and I was 8 years old. And, um uh, we still laugh and joke about it. And he still talks about this flu he had before the match, and he couldn't get on the bus going up Mahara Street uh, on the Saturday before the game, and that uh, this was his excuse for not playing well. But <laughs> really and truly, and he still drags the shit out of me because for the, the ball I play into him, and he says it all went over his head, blah blah blah. But anyway, um, he uh, yes, he definitely he wasn't really in the game. He got the slap, um, and uh, probably after that he was certainly a contender for man of the match. He didn't miss very much after that. He won every ball that came into him, but. Uh, um, just anecdotally on that, um, Barton actually, you won't ever see it in the game or it's not anywhere on the, on the, um, uh, any footage, but, uh, uh, Damien, um, I think took retribution on Cahalan very shortly after that. And, uh, I think there was a few teeth rattled anyway on, on Cahalan and, and he got, he certainly got slapped after that. And I think actually Tom Hurd might have thought it was total, but it was definitely, it was definitely Damien. Um, so there was retribution um, during the game. Um, although you know, Cork obviously paid the penalty for um, uh, Niles' indiscretion with uh, um, what happened to Tony. Yeah, exactly. Cork were flying it in the first ten minutes. Like Jesus, I think it was well, it was one two to no score, and you took a, a little while to settle. There was probably a nerves floating around your dressing room. Ah. Well, no, just Cork, Cork were flying, and we were. Well, I was off the pace. I was, I was marking Don Davis. Don was telling me half forward. Yeah. I, I was, um, I was actually named corner, cornerback, but I actually played most of the game out at wing half. I was on Don, and if uh, the first ball, Don um, went past me as if I wasn't there, I was chasing back to get him. He, he laid the ball off to um, Joe Callan and Joe. Yeah. Joe roofed it, and that was the that was the first goal that we had conceded um, in the in the championship that year. And then you see in the footage, you see Henry looking at me going, "Fred, up, pick that man up!" Like I was I was chasing Don Davis, and it was Joe Calvin. It was was Henry's man, so um, it was him who scored the goal. So we were, yeah, we were we were certainly at sea a little bit um, until I think it was. We got, it was- it was actually that the, the timing of the run by Kavanagh, and they did that a few times in the first 10 minutes. They were just seen to be coming off the shoulder and punching holes like that. Oh, they did, and they, like, that was a fairly potent forward line. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, then um, by coffee, wing half forward, and then you had uh, Corkery and uh, my old friend John Azusco full forward. Like, it wasn't, and Michael McCarthy, God rest him, um, who's, who's uh, unfortunately um, was killed in a car crash sometime after, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was a potent forward line they had, plenty of pace. Yeah. No, it definitely was. So, like, I mean, Henry Downey said in his, in his speech after the game, he said there were stages over the past three years where we were very disappointed and it seemed like this day would never come. So, like, I mean, you had kind of, you'd been beaten by All-Ireland Champions in 91 and then All-Ireland Champions in 92. And I suppose you're thinking, Jesus, when is it going to be our turn? 
Well, um, to put that in a wee bit of context, there was a lot of those guys where um, we knew a lot of, from being in Belfast together. It was Sigerson football being played, like uh, all those down players and and Derry players, Gormley, McNichol, uh, DJ Kane, Greg Blaney. They were all mixing, and and um, those boys knew that those other guys were no better than them, and we knew that they were no better footballers. And we were um, down, were able to break through probably because of the tradition before that. They'd won three All Irelands before that, and uh, um, you know people can knock to but uh, if you haven't won it before to try and win your first is very difficult but whenever Down did it in 91 and then Donegal beat us deservedly so in the Ulster final in, in 92 um, I think Andy Toe broke a toe in the first half of that game but that, you know, that wasn't why we were beaten we were just beaten well that day but it was again an odd disappointment logged on to what had happened in, in 91 and um, so I don't think like there was nothing going to stop us in '93, and, and I mean that sincerely. Like, like Donegal can complain about the the weather and 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 Clonus and and uh, in '93 in the Ulster final, but I, I watched that as I said for the first time. We we beat them fairly and squarely. We beat them well that day. Um, and uh, you know, Eamon had us. You know, we would have gone through a brick wall at any of those games um, to win. And uh, uh, but definitely down doing it before us and Donegal doing it before us that gives you the impetus and gives you the drive you needed to to um, to to get over the line for that first time for us. Right, Dad, you mentioned Ulster final. Like, I mean, how did that game go ahead? The splashing and the amount of water that was on the pitch. What were the conversations going on? Was was it looking like it wasn't going to go ahead, or was it always going ahead? No, it, probably TV played a part. Not again as, as usual, but. Um, there was a minor game before that day we were playing the minor final as well and a young lad Carl Scullion broke his leg and that so uh, you know, he, he might have broken his leg in any game, but you know, the, the, the warning signs were there and you knew yourself like you, you couldn't you, you bounced the ball, it just didn't come up. It just yeah. it, it uh, and there was pot, like not just puddles of water, like it was pools lying everywhere. Like it was just it was dangerous stuff. Now it made for compulsive view and it was a great you know, for okay, it was only the score was low scoring, but it was eight six, but uh by God it was compelling now. Yeah, and why why were Donegal given out afterwards? Because you would be seen as a bigger kind of a bigger team than them or a more physical team and that you the way, that those conditions would have suited you? No, they were giving it because they were beaten. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no. Well, you know, if they had a one, there wouldn't have been a word about it. We would have been the ones complaining. So it's just that's just the way of it. Calm. Yeah, 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 just, yeah. Okay, and and come here. The, the All Ireland final, just to come back to it in '93. Um, like the first half was fantastic. Like you said, you were playing wing back. I think you went in on Corkery for a little while. Um, then. Yeah. He started getting on the, on top of Coleman, but then after the sending off, he must have rejigged it around, and you were back out um, again. But the first half was a brilliant game to watch. I don't know what it was like to play in. Yeah, it was super. Like it was um, all Iron Finals, uh, whatever young boy dreams of playing on, and then you're running out and um, a cauldron of noise coming down on top of you. And um, Gary had massive support there that day, and uh, maybe it was nervous, but it was like. Cork were a very decent football team and we uh, we, we were definitely there was no blanket defence in those days it was man on man you won your battles and um, maybe a wee bit of aimless kicking going on but um, it was honest and you know that was fast flowing there was no um, series of five or six hand passes in a row or maybe holding the ball for 
you know, you wanted to get the ball forward as quickly as possible and try and score. So that was the that was the um, and Billy Morgan would have been the same. That would be, he, he liked to play football as well. So um, both teams went at it, and uh, you know they they were a physical side too. You remember they had um, Shay Fahey in the middle of the field, and the Stephen O'Brien, the centre half back, uh, yeah. Teddy McCarthy was there as well. Danny Caldy came on the second half like there, and Corky you mentioned before, like big big units of men too, but. Um, uh, yeah, it was was free flowing, and then they they managed to get a good goal in the second half too. Um, probably I was at fault there as well. I was John O'Driscoll, as I say, my old friend. I worked in the bank, or he worked in the bank, and we toured together in America um, with um, the Gaelic team. Um, I knew John quite well at the time, and a super super footballer, and, and strong as an ox for the size of him. And uh, he scored a beautiful goal, like a yeah. ball played so, over the top from Don yeah. Davis. Some pass by Don Davis that just perfectly waded into his path. Oh, brilliant vision. Brilliant vision. He caught us, caught us open completely. And, uh, but, you know, we were able to weather it. We, we, uh, well, they didn't we score the after that. No, they didn't. We held out. We held yeah. out. I think they got, that was the final. They got, was it 2 8 to 1 4 yeah. teams at the final yeah. score? Yeah. So, that, was their last, yeah. that was their last score that went, put them one up with the win. Now, I know they were a man down, but like, I mean, he scored the last four points then after after that, which was, you know, for a team who hadn't won in All Ireland before against Cork, you know, that's some performance. Yeah, it showed a bit of Cork. And uh, we always had belief in our ability. Now, we were, you know, we were laced with some tremendous footballers like, uh, Anthony Tolo was probably as good a player as I ever played with um, in my year, in my generation. Like um, Coleman used to say about him, he was, I was only asked him about him and John McDermott. Or John was pretty proficient at that time. But um, Coleman says, well, you never see uh, one five after John McDermott's name in a, in a, in a, on a score sheet. <laughs> so, you know, that was that was Tolo. He could he could do everything. Like he had the, he had the uh, ability to score goals. He was strong. You know, on the air and intelligent footballer too and then you McGilligan beside him um, uh, just cleared a path for him and was, was a very underrated midfielder as well um, and then you know up front we'd end up taking the scores Joe uh, all the pace that he had with Henry Downey a brilliant captain centre half back Tony Scullion um, was there as well and um, just you know Kieran McKeever most underrated player probably in Ireland yeah, um, it's, it's funny you say that, Kieran McKeever, we, were, mm. we did, last week we did the Ulster final in 97, one that didn't work out too well for you. You were wing forward that day, but I thought Kieran McKeever was outstanding first and forward that, that day in 97 as well. Yeah, like Kieran, I mean this, like you could have played Kieran anywhere, you could have played him centre half forward. He never, he, he didn't really play up front for Derry, but he really could have played anywhere. You wanted to mix it with him all day long, you want to play football, the best man marker we ever had. And, and we've had a few good ones, like Sean Marty came after him, but yeah. um, Kieran McKeever uh, is uh, pound for pound uh, as good as there was out there at that time. Yeah, you actually were on the like you could you could have been found anywhere on the field. You played full forward when you came on the scene first in a league final. Is that right? Then you're corner back, you're wing back, you're wing forward in that '97 game. Because I was looking at it, going, is he gone up wing forward now wearing the bicycle shorts? The you know corner back from from '93, yeah. which are, like I mean, you just played all over the place. That's right, Colm. Well, I would have. Go back a wee bit with Borne, um, I, I would have played schools football for Adam I'd have been a forward, but Adam would have converted me back. Adam McGovern would have converted me back into uh centre half back or Macquarie Cup team. So it maybe came from about that and then uh through Eamon Coleman's time I'd have mixed between half forward and half back. But you know, 
Sometimes I got now. I wasn't. Uh, I, I, I hold my hand up myself. I, I wasn't the greatest uh, defender in the world as in uh, man on man, and uh, has has probably borne out in the All Ireland final. But I I was fairly athletic. I was able to get forward. So um, half forward, half back, whatever. But yeah, you're right. '91. I we were that nice league team. Um, I remember playing against um, in the semi final against me and. Uh, Coke Park and McLean, was Mark and McLean. So that was uh, that was an education and a baptism, now, so. <laughs> right, that's a, that's interesting because I was talking to Tony Boyle recently, and he was talking about Mark and uh, Mick Lyons as well. And people were texting him all week in the build up to it, saying, "Don't look him in the eye, don't shake his hand. If you shake his hand, he'll do something to you." Like completely freaking him out about Lyons. Oh yeah, as if as if they had a, had a spell over you, and he would do something differently. <laughs> but he was. He was some man for one man, I tell you, but he was some footballer and uh like maybe not even the hardest man on that team if you look back on that team, but uh and, and that was if you look at their forward line as well, some of their forwards were harder than their defenders, like so um there was some out for that me team now. Yeah. Camille, what did you like Eamon Coleman obviously um lost his job in nineteen ninety four. You played down in an all time classic and down Beachy. Like, again, now there's three, there's an All-Ireland win and losing, no backdoor, losing to three All-Ireland winners. Um, and mm-hmm. he got the sack, which seems to be like a very strange decision. Well, you said it, Colm, yeah. Very, very strange. And um, I suppose we'll never, well, we will get over the time, time will heal, but um, I think certainly any of those boys were involved in that in uh, 94, 95. You know, speaking to a few of them, myself as well, probably the regret was that we did go back and play in 95. We just, we, you know, we sat it out for long enough and we, we held out for him. And, but I know him and asked us to go back for the sake of day football. And, and that was a, a, how magnanimous the man was that um, even though he was wrong so badly that, um, and we were trying to um, show our loyalty towards him, he, he realised that um, life had to go on and there, he, was, he wasn't going to get back in um, no matter what happened. But, uh, yeah, Tron beat us in '95 in um, in uh, in uh, Clonus, and uh, the team sort of disintegrated after that. Well, it had disintegrated before that, in fairness, if I've been honest. So, uh, right, and like I mean, the, 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 when you when you look back on that, like the '90s was an unbelievable success, really, between league titles, um, you know, the All Ireland title in '93, but. The, like you were favourites in a few matches. I'm thinking 92 against Donegal, you know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. 97 against Cavan, 95 against Tyrone. I, did, I don't think the favourites tag did you any favours, no, did it? it didn't. But you got to remember too, Colm, like Derry's, we punched well above our weight. Like we're, we, we're a very small county. We've only ever won, I think, seven Ulster titles. Um, we won a National League in 47. We won, uh, and then we won an R4 just in the 90s. And then we won our, like our last one was... Um, 2008, I think, or 2010. Um, we won seven Ulster titles. First one in 58, they went on to the All Ireland final. Then next one was um, 1970, then 75, 76. And then you have 85, uh, or sorry, 87. We won one then, and um, Meade beat us in the Ireland semi final. Then 93, obviously, we won and won it. 98 after that um, was our last title. So, like, we are probably second worst county in Ulster as regards. Also titles. So that right. thing about you know we probably we probably punched well well above our weight. That team came along. It was laced with tremendous footballs. Probably once it is once in a lifetime. I don't think. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but um, I don't think I'm just the way football is now and like the the chances of a not an underdog but a, a team from a, outside the the big three or four um, 
come back to win all Ireland is is sort of like Legion won in ninety four, that sort of thing. Clare coming through whenever they did in ninety two. Ninety two. Those yeah. sorts of those sorts of things are, are gonna become rare and rare. But we you know, we we've won all, we could say I, I would always say that I was lucky to win one all Ireland because we've never won one before, but then all the people say well you should have won more. Um who knows if we had had a back door, um, would we have come back against Down in ninety four? Probably given the run they had to the All Ireland final, I'm not saying it was an easy run. All Irelands aren't easy one, but um, the run they had after that was 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 fairly straightforward. Um, ninety five after Tyrone Bates would be have come back up to you no know, under normal circumstances with the team we had and Eamon being in charge again and that we we possibly would have. Um, you go back before ninety three to ninety one ninety where we were at it. Um, but you know, Donegal or Down would say the same thing. Like they would probably say after '93, if they had an all round us, they might have, they might have, you know, taken us in, in later stages. But um, yeah, it was a golden era. Now it was certainly um, a very varied. The '90s was very varied in the number of teams that won the won the All Ireland during that yeah. during that decade. Yeah. It definitely was. That's interesting that you say like Derry aren't have uh, got the second lowest Ulster titles because I grew like I was a teenager in the nineties and I just see Derry as being a pow- kind of a powerhouse where that's a, traditionally that's not the case at all. Well, that was all down to Ian McComan. You know, we came through. He came along in um, 80, 89, 90 under Father Sean Higgerty, and then he got in himself after that and uh, pulled together and got um, teams like. Players from Lavi and Dungiven and whatever that um, wouldn't necessarily have seen eye to eye. And we got McGilligan and Johnny McGurk and guys like Henry Downey and McKeever and those guys all, all playing together and, and all pulling to the jersey. And for once in our lifetime, we got um, County first before club. Right. Um, so that was that was the genius of uh, of Eamon Coleman and uh, his man management ability. I think it was Tony Scullion I saw a, a quote from saying that he never saw himself as being above the players. He'd play cards with you on the back of the bus and kind of things like that. Oh, guy, oh, he was a real man's man. Like that was his, that was the brilliance of him. But as Tony said as well, once he stepped off the bus and in the change rooms, he was like he it was like he switched to turn to switch. Um, yeah. Different different animal altogether. But um, just you'd never see him. Um, Distance players and in interview after the game, it was always he always backed the players to help. You know, you'd have got the um, absolute roasting of all roastings from him. Like, and he knew who to give the roastings to, and he knew who who to stay away from. But that was, I suppose, and and he knew who a roasting would sit well with, and he knew who to um, the arm around the shoulder when that was required. So just small things like that. It was yeah, yeah, and you yeah, can't you, you can't you can't learn that you can't learn that stuff. That's your personality. That's you know that comes naturally probably to you how to know that kind of stuff. Come here, do, do, had he been putting heads with the county board, or did, like, is there any more? Do you know any more information on why he would have, um, you know, gone in ninety after ninety four? Well, there was some, yeah, there were. That's no, not much information has come out, come out about it. But um, like, there was some chat that uh, just shows you what the times were like. That uh, he had asked for a few a few pound. Um, be uh, you know because he had missed out on um, he was labouring at the time he was a bricklayer and uh, I think he'd asked for a few a few bob um, 
I think if you read that book, Boys in 83, um, by Maria McCourt, um, it, it details it fairly well. Um, but nothing, nothing of substance. Like he, yeah. he, uh, he went to, he went to America, a big deal. He went to America after Gary put out in 94, along with, um, Andy Gormley and Guy Coleman, Kim McKee, when a few hours went out to Chicago and, um, spent summer out there. And, uh, this was used that he was, you know, he hadn't watched the cup championship at home and, uh, Right. Like just ridiculous stuff. And Guy then Guy unfortunately you'll be marking Mickey London in ninety four and um like Mickey London uh, no harm to anybody would have roasted anybody. I think Kieran would have him in the in the second half, maybe quiet him down a wee bit, but uh and there was, you know, there was accusations of nepotism and stuff. Like, it was just, just nonsense. Like, it was just, there was no substance to it at all. There was no, no rain. Like, like who, what other county in Ireland? You won your first All-Ireland in your history. Probably the only one you're ever going to win. And then you're beaten in the in the first round of the championship in the next year by, in the in the game of the decade, I was talking about, or the game of the century. Yeah. And and you're beaten by, you're beaten by a point, by a late goal. Like, and then suddenly you're, suddenly you're, you're, uh, you're sacked. Yeah, nonsense. Ah, it's crazy nonsense. stuff. So, like, you were in a standoff with the county board then. Like, I mean, you were one of the founders of the GPA. Did that kind of click this kind of switch in your head around that time? No, no, the GPA thing actually. Well, was um, the yes central to um, and and all well, and and the the standoff. I suppose we were all. Uh, I suppose involved in, in the fact that there was I was one of maybe twenty players that we were refusing to play for day because until he was reinstated. So, but the 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 GPA thing was just uh, really as you know yourself, Colin playing at the time. All you wanted was you weren't out of pocket for playing football. Yeah. That you know that you had a pair of boots, maybe that your gear was right, and that sort of thing. There was no maybe we at the door. Um, and that you were playing for so long, uh, or training for so long for six months a year, and then suddenly you could be gone in one night. But that's looking back at that now, actually, it was um, that's how I felt at the time when we were playing. But looking at it now in the back door, and how games are sort of meaningless now, and the, you know, you look at the you look at the fervor and the uh, how exciting games are whenever it's straight championship, whenever there's like Frank Wigan famously said, I don't want to watch any game where, where, where nobody loses, like so. Um, what interest do people have in that? Um, you only watch in football where there's something at stake, and Championship football is that, and that's the beauty of it. So, um, ironically, looking back on it now, I'm sorry that we actually pushed for that. Um, and uh, the straight knockout would be brilliant. And uh, uh, as regards fixture congestion, like and how the county game has morphed into what it's morphed into, and um, you see it how it's disadvantaged the club player now, and um, which is the bread and butter where it's at. And, and I don't care what the uh, Croke Park say; uh, they are really um, uh, the the club footballers now. Really, the man. It's, it's all about the. It really is all about the money and all about the um, TV rights and all about county football. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's wrong. It's the wrong way around. It actually should be like rugby, where you are you are released from your club to play for your county. Yeah, like it's 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 gone a completely uh, tail wagon dog. So we might see, yeah, yeah, we might see a, a knockout this year. Anyways, the way things have turned oh, out, it would, it would be it would be brilliant. Imagine, like, imagine a championship run off in four or five weeks where you had a, maybe a game under lights on a Wednesday night, or it was just straight knockout, um, and, and you and you and you run it through, and um, games on Saturday, games and whatever Wednesday games are fall on Saturday, Sunday, and. Uh, Oh, it'd be brilliant. And actually, if one good thing is out of COVID-19, it might be that. It might show the GA how we actually could run off 
um, an inter-county championship or an All-Ireland in in, um, in six weeks. Because the problem is, and we all know what the problem is, the problem is the various provincial councils will not give up the golden goose is of, of what they have, and that's where they get the money from. And um, they then have the voting rights at Congress. They're never going to vote this in. So, um, but you might see a, a push for change if, if this actually does. If we do get a challenge runoff in 2020, and it is done for six weeks, I'm sure that we can do it. Then, why not? Exactly. Why not, Fergal? Thanks very much for taking the call. No problem, Colin. Take it easy. All the best. <laughs> as a policeman at Garda Shikana down, down the store street and I'm coming back out and there's a cohort of loyal Tyrone fans still up in the stand as you come back out and they're roaring at me hey Toffrey you free state bastard and next thing I hear you have no fucking jurisdiction up here <laughs> Okay, so Derry won 14, Cork 2-8. And, you know, tactically, straight away, I thought it was a strange one in Gary Coleman going in on Colin Corkery, who wouldn't have had the size for him at all. Fergal McCusker um, went out on the wing. I, I, I kind of always saw Gary Coleman as an attacking-minded player. Now, I know Fergal McCusker was as well, So like, and, and Kieran, Kieran McKeever probably wasn't a man for Corkery. So maybe that's why they had to put Coleman back in there, Conan. Yeah, but like, I, sometimes I just, I just think, like, you know, put your best defender on, you know, and then worry about the size and the strength or whatever else, because it's all well and good. Like, maybe they thought, you know, Coleman had the agility and, and a bit of the strength for him, but, like, he, he wasn't as good a cornerback, obviously, as, as McKeever. I, I would have looked at that first. I could understand Fergal McCusker being pushed out, because in my head, he's never a cornerback anyway. He's a ball player, like, you know, yeah. so he, he suits being out the pitch, but... You have Tony Scott in there as well. I think maybe the problem is that you just had, you know, three good corner forwards, three good full forwards in Cork and John O'Driscoll and Nick McCarthy as well. So they needed all, all covering. And interestingly, it was actually Scullion who made the call at the start of the second half when obviously Cork were rejigging things with 14 men. And Scullion told Fergal McCusker to push out on John O'Driscoll who had drifted out the pitch and Scullion went on to Corkery himself like you could see him making that call himself and he actually also said that he was the one who made the call in the Donegal game in the Ulster final to mark Declan Bonner just because he wanted to because he got roasted by him the year before <laughs> <laughs> so I think Eamon was pretty liberal just let the boys start it out themselves in the pitch and... alright no, well that, that, that makes sense anyways because that was a good rejig by Derry and having the extra man you know, Johnny McGurk, I think, was the extra man. And, like, I mean, Derry were just able to saunter out of the fence, you know. We'll get we'll get to that in, in a minute because Cork made a blistering start. Like, they were completely dominating. In the first 10 minutes, you'd be thinking, Jesus, Derry are in huge trouble here. 1-2 down um, and Cork playing against the wind. Yeah, it was um, it was scary stuff, like, and a, and a cracking goal as well, like, from yeah. Kevin. And, like, again, when it's on Henry Downey, you're hammering the hammer, because like, Downey had an amazing disposition of him just early on, and you thought, well, that's that's that taken care of, like, you know. Yeah. But then Cork just kept streaming through the middle, and they got, like, you know, did they get a couple of easy 13-yard frees as well around that, around that period? Like, you know, it was just... Yeah, it just looked bad for Derry and Cork piling through them. They did, yeah. And, like, I mean, Kavanagh's goal was absolutely sensational. I think he did the same in 1999 in the final as well, that they lost against Mead. It was a brilliant um, shot 
from him like that. But Kieran McKeever actually slipped. Did you notice that? He was coming out to actually um, intercept Kavanagh, come out and, and mark him, and he slipped at the at the wrong. Kavanagh take the ball, took the ball on the burst and left Downey behind him. And McKeever would have come out and been standing in front of him, only he was too eager to get to him and actually slipped, and yeah. Kavanagh scored the goal. It's funny, I heard Colin Rourke saying that McKeever was too late coming out, but I, I thought he timed it perfectly. Like, McKeever split the two men. McCarthy would have been free if he had a yeah. win too early. And he just split them, and then he knew when to go. But, yeah, as you say, he slipped. Otherwise, he would have been, bang, hitting him when he needed to hit him. So I think it was just a bit unlucky. But, Jesus, like, people were slipping all over that part of the pitch. There must have, must have been a concert on the week before. <laughs> but, like, I mean, the funny thing, like, I mean, even like Fergus said, that was the first goal Derry had conceded. So they're playing... In their in their first final in I don't know were they in a final before that they never won it anyways um they'd never won an All Ireland before they'd never they'd never conceded a goal in the championship that year now they've conceded a goal their captain is the man marking the fellow who conceded a goal and now they're one two to no score uh, down playing with a with a strong wind like I mean they needed to be pretty strong mentally to not go holy shit we're in big trouble here <laughs> yeah yeah but like uh, there's a great interview with Joe Brawley afterwards he said I, I knew I knew we had them and went five points down because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very upset and obviously that happened against Dublin as well but I think that sort of it stands at the character of them like it was a team that were just they were ready like and you know they, they were all leaders they were all strong and Suddenly, just out of nowhere, they, they were back in the game. They had chipped over four points without really dominating the match. No, without, and without playing that well, Conan. Like, I mean, they're, they're, Teddy McCarthy gifted them two points um, through letting the ball slip through his hand and then giving a terrible kick pass away. Yeah. And Mark O'Connor and the, the, the Cork goalkeeper, um, John Kerrans, their mess up let, uh, let uh, Seamus, Down, Seamus Downey in for a goal. So, like, Derry found themselves two points up. Having Cork played really well, and Derry had had not exactly playing well, but have been gifted one one two. Yeah, like that 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 like that that mess up for the goal was awful. Like you know, either one of them could have taken it, but none of them, none of them went. Yeah, and Downey was the only one that kept going. And it actually happened again in the second half. I think Brawley hit the post with his fist pass, and the keeper should have just went out and caught it, but he didn't. And someone someone recovered and put it over. But it, that was a strange thing. Like I think in the second half, like you know, Toho and McGilligan started getting on top in the middle, but that didn't happen in the first half. Cork just let them saunter back into the match. I don't know, did Cork take their foot off the gas after going five up? I'm not sure what really happened, but Derry were just allowed to creep back into it. They were allowed to creep back in and go ahead. I thought Shea Fahey was was excellent in the first half. I thought he shaded. He wasn't marking Tohill. He was marking. Um, he was marking the other midfielder, McGilligan, uh, Brian, yeah. Brian McGilligan, uh, and Tohill was on Teddy McCarthy. But I thought Shea Fahey was the the standout midfielder in the first half. I'm not sure about you, even though you'd probably say overall midfield broke even because um, McGilligan was playing pretty well too. Uh, yeah, I think so. But like, there was there's some argument that McGilligan was having with the linesman. Uh, over in the sideline in the first half and Fahey just went and got the ball and, and struck, struck it over the outside of his boot it was a long oh, yeah. score and I don't know was McGilligan rattled about what had happened because in the next play Fahey caught it and there was Tohul that ended up chasing him you know and it was just that there was the three four minute period there where Fahey had just bombed down the pitch three times in a row and that's when I first started really taking notice of him and McGilligan had disappeared thankfully he got back in then but yeah I, I thought Fahey was definitely a standout for Cork and he was I think he was dominating midfield in the first half 
Yeah, no, I think he was. Barry Coffey was a target for Cork kickouts as well because he was on Johnny McGurk and obviously he'd have a big um, height advantage. Not that they got too much change out of it. Brolly got a great score in the first half. Um, tried to take Corcoran on and realised, you know, he might not have the strength for Corcoran, but twisted back in and kind of got a... a it was a, it was a lovely score off his left foot, kind of from a, a difficult angle and with his body position didn't seem right, but he was, still was able to get a, a typical thir- number 13 left-footed uh, type of score. Yeah, unpredictable. You, know, you don't know when he's going to shift or how he's going to shift, but he still manages to, to get it over so he can't block him. Yeah. Like, Raleigh, it almost reminded me, we, we talked about the 1997 Ulster final and every time he got the ball, he looked electrifying, but almost like they were underusing him a little bit because they liked running us. They played it out short from the back and they ran through the middle where they were strong. Like It's hard to, yeah. to disagree with the tactics because it worked well, but like, Jesus, every time Brawley got us, like he sat up and he took notice. And, you know, like, I think it was per Brian Corcoran who was terrified. Like, you know, he was struggling to, to contain him. But thankfully for him, Brawley didn't get the ball as much as he probably should have. Corcoran's a big unit. Like, Corcoran wouldn't fancy market someone like Brawley. A lot of the ball that Brawley got in the second half was out around the 45, too far out. You know, he was getting out in front. But obviously, just the end of the first half, Gormley came into the game, like we mentioned, and got those two scores. And now they have a, a, a lead of three points at half time and at half time at half time Teddy McCarthy got the curly finger um, like I said Danny Cullity came on for him who played actually well Danny Cullity was a good was uh, was a good player and Cork had to go through a two-man full forward line John O'Driscoll went out to wing forward and Coffey looked like he went wing back so that was the change there from Cork point of view look descent being down to 14 men there is no doubt about that and I keep saying this it wasn't an injustice because Catalan should have gone do you know what I mean but it, there's no doubt that the 14 men the way Derry were able to run the ball out um, in the second half you know and have have men around the ball I think they even took a quick kick out which wasn't uh, which would have been very unusual at the time you know like I mean it definitely made a, a difference Oh, that, like definitely, and like he saw like the last three scores, it was Derry's halfbacks that were contributing to them. Like it was Downey bombing through and popping yeah. off. Gary Coleman did it. McGurk scored one. Do you know when Tohill's got another one like coming coming from late? Like, they were just able to run through them then because, and I think that was probably a great a great move from the Derry management. Like they brought on Derek McNichol at halftime. Like that was their reaction to. Like having a man extra, I suppose, and like I know McGurk was the free man, but McNichol just has the running power. Like, and he came over Cassidy and started picking up ball deep and going through the middle as well. And I think that probably was what happened. They eventually just wore him down. And like Cork's last score came what was it seven minutes or something before the end. You know, Derry just wore him down. I think. Oh, was, their, their Cork's last score was the goal, and that was ten minutes into the second half. So like I mean, they were completely shut down. Cassidy, ha- suppose Cassidy put in the ball for the goal, but like I mean, Kieran O'Sullivan was cleaning up. He was a just Cork were a big bloody team they were a big physical monstrous team especially in the backs they were all big strong physical men so I'd say Cassidy kind of went he wasn't really in the game but Kieran O'Sullivan was in the game too much for his, for his. so Derrick McNichol came on and scored a, scored a brilliant point and Colin Rourke says wouldn't be noted as a great scorer of points <laughs> <laughs> I like I I don't know where he got that from either. Like, you know, <laughs> like he's played with Derek McNichol and then Ireland International Rules team. Maybe he just saw him shanking a few shots out there. I don't know, but um, you know, Derek McNichol's the youngest ever All Star. He got an All Star when he was in school. Like you know, he's a superstar. You so know, what just, age was he at that in '93 then? In '93, well, he was in the minors in '84. So what's that? Nine years later, so well, 27. Still, how come? Why couldn't he make the team that year then? He, he was making the team, but he got injured. He had a bad hamstring injury, so he didn't start the semi-final and final. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, like, you know, McNichol was just, like, 
you know, just this, he was the child prodigy. We always talk about these underage sensations. Like, he was, he was the one, as I said, he played four Ulster, or he won three Ulster championships as a minor, played four years. He won an All-Star when he was still at school in 84. Like, he, um, like he was it, and I just thought that he brought that bit of just that bit of drive and, and quality coming through the middle for Derry when he when he came on. Oh, he did. He played well. He played well. So, like, I mean, John O'Driscoll scored a goal after a brilliant, uh, brilliant weighted pass by Don Davis, and that was uh, the reason that was so brilliantly weighted is because the ball hit the ground and it would have skidded off the ground. So for, even it's like Don Davis judged the wet surface <laughs> to be able, you know, to actually per- perfectly fall into John O'Driscoll's uh, path as he was running. That was a brilliant finish that put Cork one up with a with a decent wind all right they were a man down but that's incredible that they didn't score again and Derry scored four to close out the game you know like I was saying to Fergal there like I mean that's serious performance I know that they're man up but sometimes a man up can be offset by a by a strong wind you know like I mean and uh maybe being against the wind suited the man up because they were able to run the ball a little bit more yeah, I think so. Like, you're like you're right where you're talking about the, the strength of Cork as well. Like, I, I this is where I think the man the man up came because he's de- Derry like were very noted for being physically strong. Like P- Peter McGrath talked about it in the first round when Derry hammered down. He just said like around the middle third, they're just far too physically strong for us. But Cork were able to match that like and sometimes sometimes better. So I think this is where like you know having the extra man probably played into the advantage. It was two massive strong teams coming against each other. And Derry just had the extra body throughout the match. You know, when that does this help them over the line. Yeah, even incredibly, Cork took Corkery off uh, towards the end, and in desperation, put Stephen O'Brien up front, who co- who can play in the forwards. Um, didn't see much of Stephen O'Brien actually as a kind of a marauding uh, centre half back, which he became known for. And like, I mean, Barton wasn't really in the game either. So I'm wondering, kind of, was Barton, um, you know, Damien Barton, who you'd you'd imagine would have been a little bit more in the game as centre forward was he actually you know maybe detailed to keep Stephen O'Brien quiet a little bit yeah because if you look through the the rest of the championship like Barton was deadly like you look at some of the clips like he was just just a balanced centre forward like he always attained the ball he'd find the right pass and it didn't have that big an impact in that game in the final and like you know maybe a lot of that is down to Stephen O'Brien as well he was doing a doing a good job on him like you know <laughs> in fairness Stephen O'Brien I thought he was going to be rocked because Tohill put him on his arse straight away and I thought Jesus this boy's, <laughs> this boy's not going to be seen in the game but like he came back into it in a big way and grew into it in the second half started marauding forward and Barton uh, you know he wasn't doing that good a job attacking and I don't know if he was doing that good a job defensively on O'Brien either yeah it's hard to know it was a scrappy enough second half to be fair after such a brilliant first half the first half was I thought was of a very high standard consider it was a, a slippy enough uh, surface but the second half that big shower of rain came two different shower of rain showers of rain came in the second half and you know it, it was probably a harder watch um, from a neutral you know quality yeah. wise yeah, all day like sure. I'm just sucked in. Like you know, you're it's just, just waiting. For, yeah, and you're just waiting for Derry to hold tight. Like you know, that's all you care about. Like you, you know, when you look back at the I think the Ulster final, Derry played Donegal, and like you know, this this moment has been like um, mythologized. And like Brian McGilligan cut out this ball, like that was a played over the top, and Donegal would have scored a goal in fairness. But you look back at the clip, it's just a hand pass somebody's tried to play, and he's cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> And it is quite underwhelming now when you watch it 25, 27 years on. But um, 
you know, it's the same as that when you're a dairy supporter, you're just watching it going, oh my God, look at all these heroes. Look at that block from Scullion, look, you know, and you're just hanging on back to the walls. You're looking at the scoreboard. You don't care about the game, I suppose. Yeah. Can you believe Eamon Coleman got the sack in 94? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't remember this going on, if I'm being honest. I don't know what I was doing at the time, but I don't remember him getting the sack. He got the sack after the down game the following year in 1994 losing to a brilliant brilliant down team who go on to win the All-Ireland and your All-Ireland winning manager has just has just got the sack like I mean it was an incredible decision from the county board yeah there wouldn't be all that surprising the <laughs> county board but like that's sort of the equivalent isn't it of a Premier League manager getting promoted or a championship manager getting promoted into the Premier League and then they sack them yeah you know, he has one bad game or whatever but yeah, like, and like a really strange one as well because all the players loved him. Like that was yeah. the big thing about Coleman. And like, should have went, should have went on strike for him to get exactly. him back until and he like, told him not to. That's it. Like, and he was so popular. Like, he was the sort of boy like to talk about him being down the back of the bus with the players. Yeah, you know, and yet he still had like even though he was a real leader and like you know everybody knew he was boss. He took no nonsense, but he was able to build a manager, a managerial team around him as well, which is probably the most important thing, which a lot of people overlook back then. Like you know, he was the one that got in Mickey Moore, and he's the one that got in these coaches around him, and and he's the one that kept all that camp happy. Like even though there are probably a lot of them who were afraid of him, but they all loved him too. So such a bizarre decision, and sure. Ah, he came back after him anyway, like, and they got him back in and they got Derry hitting all all in the semi-final, you know, in 2001. Yeah, I know, but, like, I mean, that team that team probably should have won another All-Ireland. Like, I mean, it's interesting, Fergal, saying that they didn't carry the favourites tag too, too easily. Obviously, in 94, lost to Down, 95, lost to Throne, and 97, lost to Cavan. They're all big losses where Derry were strongly fancy because they won a league in 95 and 96. You know, like we said last week, that All-Ireland or that Ulster final in 97 was unforgivable, really, when they just won the under-21 um, All-Ireland and they were getting some good quality players out of that. Yeah, there was a steady stream there that was coming from 80s and 90s. Yeah, like, they like, definitely should have done more. Just happy to... They at least got one one all Ireland, but it, it is, well, that, that is that is a good point because Fergal made that point as well. Like, I mean, do you look at it as in underachieving, or do you look at it we won the only all Ireland there he has ever won? <laughs> They're, they're icons like you know they'll be forever remembered in, in Derry's annals but um like you know in in the cold heart of the light of day they probably should have yeah they probably they definitely should have won more definitely more Ulster championships and the fact they haven't won since 98 is crazy but it's interesting like the Fergal's talking there about the favourites tag because do you know when they, they went to play down like they were all very nervous like in the 93 opener because they had beaten down the year before and they thought Jesus darling it'll be gone for us now and the the difference like they they went and hammered down anyway they were they were a better team in that year, but then when they went and they played Donegal they were so focused and so confident they were going to win that also final because they had lost to Donegal the year before yeah. you know and they probably just liked that idea of coming in under the radar and maybe that was the whole mentality as well that Eamon Coleman was able to build like he dropped he dropped Brawley for the Ulster final and the whole thing was like we don't want Dublin to know what we're going to bring in the semi final. <laughs> you know? Are and, you like, serious? Yeah, like that's the story. The Brawley, like Brawley told in the documentary, the the boys who won McGuire's uh, a dairy documentary, but I remember the men who won McGuire, and he said that he said he was heartbroken. Like you know, Coleman came up to him and said, "Look, we just we don't want to show our hand before the the All Ireland semi final." But even saying that sort of instilled belief in the players at this point was thinking long term, and he believes in them. And apparently, came up to him at Crew Park afterwards after the semi final and say, "What did I tell you?" Because Brawley was class after. Brawley was man of the match. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We'll leave it there and we'll come back because we'll talk about Brawley and performance of the weekend. 
Derek, great to finally get to interview you. Oh, really, yeah? <laughs> do you, do you, Why do you, is it great? Why do you not do many interviews? I don't know, really. Um, I haven't been asked to do a whole while. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? I know we spoke about the defensive side of things. If you're coming in and you want to be, if you want to be the Woolly Parkinson and, and just play for myself, and well, an, an inter-county corner forward isn't just hatching inside either. He's, no, you know, no. he's, unfortunately for you, Woolly, it won't last forever. You can ask ex-players that. You can ask your, you know that yourself, Woolly. Yeah, mine um, never started at yeah, all. Well, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. Okay, performance of the weekend, and we'll, we'll start with Joe Brawley. He only scored a point, uh, but in fairness to him, he was constantly buzzing around and, and was up for it, you know, and was winning ball no matter where on the pitch, whether it was out to 45, whether it was in his corner, whether it was gone across to the other corner, he wanted to get on the ball, and he was lively, and he scored that brilliant point, and he definitely, he missed a couple of chances. He actually missed two point chances, and then the fist, he should have had four, four from play. He was very annoyed with himself in the first half, Missed, he missed two chances on his wrong kind of side, um, you know, but at the same time, over the course of the game, uh, you know, deserved um, definitely a mention for, for performance of the weekend. I think so. He's such a, a nice angle of run, doesn't he, when he gets the ball? It's like he's driving for the, the byline every time he gets yeah, it. Yeah, he's a funny, he's a funny st- running style, but he, you're right, he goes, he goes unusually for a left footer he goes on he tries to take them the long way yeah that side that's his go-to move first and come around on the on the other side of them yeah that's it like I think he's just trying to get them at sixes and sevens like so he just drives on the inside yeah even though he, that, that's on his right foot and eventually he's probably thinking if I can get this boy panicked enough I can get turned like, like the score he got I suppose but he had a really nice it was an unusual run but a nice solo and that like his leg was very high you know, so the, the ball was out of his hands, very like very little. Like you know, it was like yeah. there was no chance to really dispossess him because he had so high. He was almost like messy sometimes. You know, where it's encouraging the defender to tackle you. You know, yeah. you're sort of just presenting it to them, but then that's when he tried to attack. It was it was nice, just a nice sort of style with the way he ran at defenders. Yeah, technically, what he's doing is stupid because he's he's going, he's taking him on on the side. He's solo on the ball, so like I mean, it, technically, it should be very easy for him for the defender to tap the ball away. Usually, you'll try and keep the defender on the other side of where you're soloing it. So you might hold them off with one hand and you're able to solo it with the other. Broly is soloing it with the, with, with the left yeah. and taking them on by going that side as well. So to, to, it doesn't make any sense what he was doing and he consistently did it. And like, I mean, that was a feature of his career in general doing that. Yeah, I suppose he just had that pace and he probably just wanted you to commit and try to tackle him and then he might try to strip it as I said like the ball wasn't available too much to try and take yeah. it off him like so he had a very short window to, to try and tackle but it's it's almost like you know when there's a left footer like he especially when you're doing one-on-ones in training you always just sort of show him his right foot but like with him then you couldn't do that because he would take that space if you give it to him so it was a good attribute to have like you know he couldn't just watch his left foot because he was going to just go around you the other way yeah, I thought it was interesting that he was man of the match in the semi-final against Dublin. He had an excellent game here, and he didn't get an all-star. So obviously he didn't play. Is that the year he didn't play the Ulster final? In, yeah, in that three. That was obviously in the monsoon. And I'd say Eamon Coleman just realised this isn't a game that's going to suit uh, Brawley. He's not going to have any interest in this. You know, the ball's not going to bounce in front of him. It's just going to be a disaster. But he didn't get two. He didn't get all stars until '96. And he's two all stars '96 and '97. And I was thought that was interesting. In '97, Brawley got an all star. 
for a bad game in an Ulster final, didn't win an Ulster final, scored 1-3 against Monaghan, 1-4 against Tyrone. And in 93, he didn't get an All-Star after a, a man of the best performance in an All-Ireland semi-final and a very good performance in an All-Ireland final. How does that make sense to get one? <laughs> He got one in 97, having lost the Ulster final, having just played two good games in the, in the lead up to it. So this is, like, I, I just wonder, did they judge it differently back then? Did, did the league way more? Did, uh... Must, you're right, yeah. It must have been the whole, I think the league did have more. You're right, I should have thought of that, yeah. No, but I also think they, they brought in, like, maybe underage, because, like, I was talking about Derek McNichol earlier, and he won one in 1984. Like, he only, only Derry player, they won one, and I thought, what? Derry didn't win an Ulster back then, and Derry played two games. They won a preliminary round, and then they lost in the quarterfinal to Tyrone. <laughs> you know, and this, he won an All Star, but like you know, probably <laughs> based on the league and the fact maybe that he had underage success at the same time. I, I don't know. It was um, I oh, you're right because Leash got I think Leash got a couple of All Stars in 1986, and they only won the league. So look, listen, we're being too. Uh, well, I am. I'm not going to accuse you as well. I'm I'm being too influenced by what you get all stars for now, where the league means zero, you know. So like, I mean, okay, well, at least that that mystery. But then again, why? I wonder why you didn't get the all star in in 1993 is another question because like they're too big enough games to play very very well in, to, you know, to have done enough. Um, but anyways, Enda Gormley's another nomination here. Um, six points, three from play, and uh, got three frees. He got the last score of the game. Um, all three from play were brilliant scores. He he had the ball in his hands when the final whistle went as well. Um, so he was back there. He also set Johnny McGurk up for that point by giving him um, giving him a, a quick free. And, you know, just that punch from Catalan, from that punch on, Ed Gormley is definitely man of the match. Yeah, like it, it, it just really toughened him up. He was a tough player anyway, but it woke him up like, you know, when... As much as he scored six points and like you know six beautiful points, some of the frees were tough and he was stroking them over. But yeah, he he was just one dirty ball. Like you know, you talked about him having the the last ball, like the ball in his hands at the final whistle. Like that was a breaking ball that he won in defence as well. He just he threw himself around like he won dirty ball. He popped it off. It was um, it was just a bit of a third to force. Like you know, it was heartwarming watching it and one of those ones where you just. Look up and think, geez, I want to be under Gormley when I grow up, like, you know. And I know it's a brilliant, yeah, brilliant, brilliant performance. Um, Henry Downey, I think his sec, uh, second half was excellent. First half, uh, touch and go. I think Joe Cavanagh played very well, but Henry Downey just completely got on top of him. Um, I suppose as Cork started going out of the game and he he driving forward, had a lot more kind of buzz about him and and pace about him. I know in '97 it's only four years after it, but com- in comparison to that performance against uh, Cavan, this was chalk and cheese. I thought. Ah, yeah, and I could just suppose I think Henry's best attribute was that he always smelled blood. Like he just he just knew when to go. He knew when to kick and knew when to go. And and when he went, they went. Like you know when he did that in the Hector three, just bursting like swashbuckling and run straight through the middle like he just he knew when a team was on the ropes and he, he knew when to sort of turn the screw and yeah I, th- I think that, that that was the very best of him in that second half like you're right he was I think he had an amazing disposition in the first half I think he was unlucky with a couple of tackles he was just sort of standing up and boys were running into him but um he really just went Derry and needed him like because you know, Derry were, were dominant he should have went on just to close the game out to get sucker points and I think it was boys like Downey especially Downey who just dragged him back in front yeah, I thought uh, probably oh, Dermot Heaney was very good as well. I thought he was excellent in the first half. Like he could have had a goal. 
and he was giving Tony Davis all sorts of problems and got on a few balls in the second half as well. So I thought he he deserves a mention too. For Cork, I think Kieran O'Sullivan throughout the whole game was outstanding, but he just turned into be a brilliant wing back. Um, Shea Fahey, I thought, was very very good. And I thought Mark O'Connor. I know he made the mistake for the goal, but you could you, you he's kind of turning around wondering is why why generally it's your goalkeeper that calls for that because he's facing it. So I wouldn't put the mistake for the uh, Seamus Downey goal down to Mark O'Connor. I'd put that down to Cairns in the goal that he should have been communicating better. And it looked almost like he called my ball because Mark O'Connor stopped. And that gave Seamus, he, Seamus Downey, you know, the chance to catch up with Mark O'Connor and score the goal. Yeah, the keeper calls anything, no matter what it is. Like <laughs> You have to stop. Yeah, you have to stop. Like, you know, the keeper has to come there once he starts shouting because like, you can't just depend on the defender process and everything you said. <laughs> like, you know, if you hear the keeper, you know he's around. And he like, you know, the best keepers just clean that out all the time. You know, if the keeper wants him to just catch it, just say nothing, stand in your line, don't get caught with that fisted ball. Like, you know, instead they both just got caught in no man's land and down he came in. But I've, yeah, I've like seen, what, I've, sorry, seen, I've seen Seamus Downey now in two games and he's been very underwhelming in both of them. Yeah, like <laughs> he was he's no uh, no Henry Downey anyway, but I'm um, just uh, uh just just uh, a physical player of a good left foot like you know when a, a good a good brain on him like you know he got... when, does he, when does he use this good left foot because I've seen no evidence of it in two big games in fairness we were talking about him in the 97 final we spent a few passes in the in the second half like he, he had a good head on his shoulders like and right. I don't know if we've been playing maybe it would be full forward nowadays but I sort of imagine him just out around the pitch a bit more getting on ball and, and pinging it inside um, maybe maybe he's the <laughs> the 1993 version of Jack McCarran. Well, I would say he's the 93 version of Ono Ono Gara. Yeah, <laughs> and that's Ono Gara when he came on the scene for when he came on the scene first. Yeah, and, uh, but he still, he, but, go on. No, still, still got the winning goal, and Derry's only all earned wins. So we <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyone else you want to nominate? Total, I suppose, was good throughout. Although, I've, again, I, I don't think it was Total's best, most dominating performance ever. But I suppose when you look at it. He, he he was he was on the ball a lot and he was in the game a lot. Yeah, um, I suppose like Damien McCusker, I always like a couple of big saves and um, it's it just it was probably before his time, like just how quickly he had the ball in the square as it was going wide. It was like clucks and stuff. Like he had it set up ready to kick out again. But he interestingly he played full forward and midfield for Derry. I was reading. Uh, there you go. That's the McCusker the McCusker clan. <laughs> But um, Keir McKeever, I just like every time he plays, I just think he's always worthy of a man of the match performance. And like I thought that was scandalous. One of the biggest injustices that he never got an All Star that year, but he got sent off and won the games in the All Star Championship. So that was that rule back then. If you got a red card, you couldn't couldn't get a nomination. Right, right, right. Okay, so who am I going to give this to? I, I don't think I can look past anyone other than Enda Gormley. Who got official man of the match? Official sure. man of the match. I'm just looking it up here. I can't. I can't even see it. Ah, you'd be doing well to look past Enda Gormley when you look at his contribution. The three difficult frees, the incredible first point from play, the the last point, then you know winning the break at the very last final whistle, setting up Johnny McGurk. Like he must have been responsible for seven, eight scores. You know, out of one fourteen. Like I mean, give me a break. You'd be doing like I don't know who influenced the game more than him. Yeah. No. no it's just. Great attitude as well. Like, like you know, I love that finger point into Cahalan's face. Ah, yeah. 
Like he talked about the, it's, it's sort of well documented in Derry like they were five down against Dublin in the semi-final but you know Mickey Moore had apparently this amazing half-time speech but uh, it was based around this fan who was shouting the typical typical Nordic team shit in the bucket you know as they, as they come down to Crew Park and but they could just even hear an end of Gormley talk about that you know 25 years later like he he really like that really got him and he was thanking that lad that day like he's the reason we beat Dublin that you know <laughs> I think he just has that in him like you know that wanting to stick two fingers up to somebody who doubts him he needs that he needs that for his performance right well that's it end of Gormley uh, performance of the weekend so congratulations to him and we'll leave it there Conan um, a nice trip down memory lane on your, your the greatest day in Derry football it's actually interesting when Fergal was saying there that Derry our second on the on the roll of honor in 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 Ulster. That you know, when I think of Derry from you know being a teenager in the nineties, that they're this big powerhouse winning all Ireland. Second bottom, league. yeah. You know, second bottom rather. Um, you know that it's not usual rather than usual for, for uh, Derry to be winning even Ulsters. Yeah, like they're behind. They're behind Antrimink. They won seven in their history. Like you know, yeah. Like, it's um I think it's just probably a product of, you know, half of the dairy populations in the city. You know, the city's where I'm from and it's they're doing a lot of work, a lot of money's been pumped into it, but there's only four clubs in there, like, you know, and there's forty clubs in dairy, so like that sort of shows you the, the balance of like where all the football's being played, well a lot of it is just in rural parts and it's a tiny population and like, you know, part of that population is unionist as well. Like so it's yeah, yeah. not a big pick in reality, even though dairy would have a bigger population. It's um that's a shame, and especially if you look at them, like their minor Ulster titles, like they actually have the second most there. So right. it's not translating somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's the nightlife in Derry City, maybe or something <laughs> like that. Kind of, we get to the bottom, get to the bottom of it. Right, come here, I'll let you go. I'll talk to you, talk to you next Monday, or I'll talk to you on Thursday. All right. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.